Welcome to the 50th episode of the Upper 90 Football Podcast. It is also our first ever episode with video because we are now in England. I'm your host, Justin Ruderman, with our other host. I'm Garrett Post, and yeah, as Justin says, we are coming to you from Liverpool right now, um, and we have so many amazing things planned for this trip. Um, we'll be here for quite a while, and we have so much content coming up even later this week, Justin. But before that, of course, we have so much to talk about in this special 50th episode, starting with our game of the week, which of course was the upper 90 MLS Derby between our two clubs, LAFC, visiting the San Jose Earthquakes, and we were in attendance, of course, Justin, and uh, I had a great time. How about you? Not so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we had great seats. Thanks, Garrett, for, for getting us those tickets. Um, but yeah, it was just not the performance we expected from LAFC. Um, obviously, a rotated lineup because, you know, the fixtures are coming thick and fast and Trondolo needs to rotate. LAFC were on a seven-game winning streak, franchise record coming into this game. If they would have won the game, Garrett, it would have been the second longest streak since... Uh, you know, there were no penalties anymore in MLS. Wow. Yeah. So it, that tells you how uh, much parity there is in MLS and how uh, rarely we see these uh, types of runs. But I know you want to talk about the game, Garrett. Tell us how Quake's dominated. Well, I mean, it wasn't like territorial dominance. I thought it was, you know, pretty back and forth. Both teams had good spells of possession. Um, but, you know, there were overloads that the Earthquakes created that LAFC's back line just couldn't deal with. Most namely on the right-hand side, of course, the combination of Espinosa, the overlapping run from Tommy Thompson, and that ended up creating both of our goals. The first of which, Tommy took a touchdown to the byline, a little chip cross back almost over a sliding Segura, I believe it was, and Benji Kikanovich was there to tuck it into the top corner. Really lovely finish. Um, but then, you know, uh, some halftime subs, correct, for LAFC, for Toronto trying to change the game a bit. Um, what did he try? Yeah, well, I mean, after half, LAFC got back in in the 54th, right, uh, with a poku, that, that nasty chip finish that was, you know, cheeky. But uh, as you say, then the subs came, uh, Elias Sanchez, Carlos Vela, Jose Cifuentes, the three starters that you really have been carrying this team. I mean, uh all three are, are the all-stars, right? Or uh, not Sifu, sorry. It was Palacios, but Sifu should have been an all-star. He's been yeah. absolutely incredible Agreed. this year. Um, but yeah, you take off Blessing, you take off Hollingshead, you take off Mendes. That was the thing. You mentioned the right side, uh, which was interesting to me because Trindolo opted for help on LFC's right side, on the left side uh, of San Jose through Kakanovic. He put Hollingshead as a right-sided midfielder to help out Escobar defensively, but it turned out the left side, Diego Palacios, um, is where the help was needed. Yeah, and then, um, you know, he also threw bail on, Torrendolo did, looking for a winner, and it looked at that time that, you know, it might be inevitable for LAFC to end up getting a second goal, but just a minute later, the earthquakes go down the other end. It's the same thing. Espinosa to Thompson to the byline, cuts it back, and this time it's Cade Cowell, a thunderous volley into the roof of the net, an emphatic finish. PayPal Park was loud, and then it went from bad to worse for LAFC. Ilya Sanchez, who you said was subbed on, he got a, a booking just three minutes after coming on, and then just two minutes after Cade Cowell's goal, which made it 2-1, he got a second yellow, a 
clumsy, stupid challenge on Jamiro Montero. Studs into the side of the ankle. You're always going to get booked for that. So Sanchez is now suspended for the game against Austin, which is really bad for LAFC. Um, and, and, you know, kind of sealed their fate. Although there were a few more chances for LAFC, namely I think of a ball that went over the top to Bale and he tried to um, cross it, but Chicho was unable to get on the end of it. Um, but yeah, it ends in a 2-1 victory for the Earthquakes. Obviously not what we were expecting, and I was being so pessimistic last week saying, oh yeah, it's going to be 5-1. But hey, man, I will, I will take that any day of the week. I was really happy with how we played. Um, you, you can only play who's in front of you, and, and obviously LAFC did rotate a bit, and I personally think God may be a little bit overconfident, but the Earthquakes stuck to their game plan. They executed it really well, and they walk away with a big three points. Yeah, to me, it's not about overconfidence. It's about rotation. But I understand why uh, 55% possession for San Jose. They actually were lower on expected goals, shockingly. Um, but, you know, more big chances for San Jose. I, I think San Jose definitely deserved that win. You would agree? Yeah, I, I would agree as well. Um, but obviously, you know, the fact that LAFC can rotate like that and then bring players off the bench and still, you know, potentially could have won it or, or right. tied it, you know, without Ilya getting... Uh, sent off or Chicho hit the bar in the first half. Like LAFC right. definitely had their chances. Right. And that now makes four straight wins at home for San Jose against LAFC. Uh, only the second team in MLS to do that against LAFC. The other one being Vancouver from the, 2019. That, that makes sense. The, the two bogey teams, because you guys lost to them on yeah. the road recently as well. Yeah. And, and it's on the road too, because LAFC has had a good record, especially at the beginning of their time in MLS uh, against San Jose, but it's turned around recently. Yeah, I mean, we still find it hard to win at the bank. I think the only time we did was during COVID when there were there were no fans in the stadium, so that helped, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah, for no some reason. No 32-52 changes the yeah, game a little bit. Yeah, well, the San Jose Ultras are doing enough to have you guys lose four straight at our place. So. Hey, you guys were very loud. I mean, loudest I've ever heard it at PayPal Park, for sure. The loudest I've heard it for a, for a while. I, I will admit that. The fans really showed up for, for both clubs. Packed house. A little yeah. banter at me. Uh, you you got to oh, love it. Oh, yeah. You yeah. got to nah, love it. It was, it, was, it was great. It was a really, a really fun time. All right. But we can move on to some um, other MLS games because there were a few good ones, uh, most notably to me, LA Galaxy against Seattle Sounders. We know this is, you know, a matchup of two of the most historic clubs in the league, probably the two best historically, uh, you know, throughout MLS. And it lived up to all expectation, didn't it? A 3-3 thriller. Um, for me, though... Seattle deserved this win. They were the better side. Uh, it was just that the first 10 or 15 minutes and the last 10 or 15 minutes uh, that Galaxy were very good, right? They they went up 2-0. Um, it, it was the 42nd minute with Vasquez, but, you know, Chicho with the... Ch Chicha, excuse me. <laughs> um, with, with the goal in the 10th. And uh, Seattle were, were good, but it, in the second half was really what changed the game for me. I think the, the fullbacks, the wingbacks for Seattle... Uh, were really, really good uh, in the second half. And that was the difference for me. But still, you know, we're better side for the majority of the second, first half and the second half. Um, but, you know, Jovalich comes on, finds a way to get that goal, as always. From the spot, but... He'll score whatever way it takes. No, you're not You're not wrong. And we both have been on the Jovalich hype train for a while, which yeah. you know, is rare to find for us and Carson players. But... He is the best player on that team. Obviously, Ricky Puj may end up being that. We'll see. Who made his debut in this game. Right, right. But I agree. I think Seattle should have won, won this game. And, and 
Um, you know, they capitalized in the second half. Obviously, they were clinical, but they had chances in the first half, which they didn't take. They only put six of their 16 shots on target. They had, you know, higher XG, higher chances created. So I, I agree. I think they should have won this. Um, but, you know, the Galaxy are able to, you know, find results at the death at their own park. Like, that's something we know yep. that they are always in it until the end. And they've had quite a few late shocks, whether it be gaining a point or, or gaining all three at the end of games when they're at home in Carson. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, Puj is one to keep an eye on for sure. For me, uh, also on the Jovalich thing real quick, I was talking to uh, another reporter who also does Galaxy, and he was saying he's just one of the most likable guys. Uh, mm. Similar to Mahalo Poka, I was talking to him. He has the most you know, infectious smile I've probably ever seen. Uh, he's just a happy guy. Yeah, I like Apoku. I was, was told a quality finish from him too. Yeah, I was told Jovalich has the same type of uh, mentality or, or aura uh, in, in being very liked. But for me, Jordan Morris, man, having to watch this guy for 90 minutes, I know he scored a goal in this game, but he did not deserve it. He has a 7-2 fought mob rating. I would give him like a 4. He was so, so bad. He's um, about to go to the World Cup, man. Oh, please, no. Greg, please. Greg's going to do it. You know he's going to do it. It, it's Greg. He's going and you know, uh, no, it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it was painful watching Jordan Morris. That's all. MLS All Star, bro, but not Abobasi, who who ran your back line, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. That was that was ridiculous. But Philadelphia Union, man. I mean, battering DC United. We know DC are terrible, but six nil. Uh, it is their third win by at least six goals. Uh, in club history, equaling Sporting Kansas City for the most by a club in MLS history. But the most incredible part is all three of those came in the last nine matches. It, we're talking about club history here, and these ha this has happened in the last nine matches. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, well, especially when you think about the narrative of this team last year, which was, oh, they do not concede, but do they have enough goals to go and win a championship? And yeah. the answer, obviously, injuries and COVID when they were playing New York didn't help. But the answer was no. Right. Now, I mean, they're putting up six, seven spots on a regular basis. It's a bit ridiculous. So, uh, you know, we've been talking about how LAFC, despite – this loss, they are the clear front runners. They they have no excuse not to win. But if there is one team that I'm scared of, if I'm LAFC, it's Philadelphia without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, I mean, my preseason supporter Shield winners, maybe yours as well. Um, but yeah, very very good team. I agree with what you're saying. They they are known for winning one or two nil, right? That's how they get the wins, and that's how they've been a very top team in MLS for the past few years. But Scoring six, granted two of them were against DC, so take it with a grain of salt. But still, I mean, very, very impressive from Union, and if they can keep up that goal scoring, they're going to be a huge threat. Yeah, and then one other game we can talk about, Justin, is of course Nashville against Dallas at Geodis Park. And this was not really what we were expecting. Two good teams, as we know, mm. fighting for seeding in the Western Conference. You know, pretty confident both of these teams will make the playoffs. Obviously, Nashville a little bit still on the bubble, but, mm. you know, they made a statement in this game. They had not won in six games entering this match. So, you know, in jeopardy of dropping out. Um, and, and I think they are out of it right now, out of the playoff um, spots. I think they're in it. I could be wrong. Uh, um, either way, they smashed Dallas, right? Um, who didn't have Ferreira, by the way. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, two goals and an assist in the first half for Haney Mukhtar, who we know 
is an MVP front runner. I mean, this guy is sensational. Signed a long-term deal. So many people are saying, oh, he could do it in, in, in a top league in Europe. But, uh, you know, he has committed his future to Nashville, and, and that's huge for them. And, yeah, so they're in sixth place right now. So, you know, definitely not safe yet. But if Mukhtar keeps playing like that, they will be very soon. Yeah, especially we keep talking about Seattle and Portland trying to get in there. But Seattle, not looking like it. Portland, not looking like it. But, yeah, I think it's uh, Mukhtar, I think it's between Mukhtar, Reynoso, and Ryusi. Right now for that MLS MVP, I'd love to say my, my guy Elie is in there, but not quite anymore. But yeah, I just think uh, it's it's going to be a great debate between those three come end of the season. Yeah, for me, it's it's got to be Drew Uciasm now. He's just been unbelievable for Austin this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would take quite a lot from Reynoso or, or Mukhtar, in my opinion, down this back half of the uh, back stretch of the season, rather to mm. kind of unseed Driuzzi for MVP because right now he's my clear number one. Yeah, the one argument I would give for Mukhtar is after this game, he has 25 goal contributions this season. First of all, that's a ridiculous number, but that is equal to Sebastian Driuzzi um, for the MLS lead. And Mukhtar is doing it on a worse team, right? Driuzzi right. has is on a better team with more right. help. Um, but yeah, I would have to say as well, Driuzzi is slightly ahead, but I think it's still up for grabs for sure. Yeah, and uh, he also has the most goal contributions at home of any yeah. player in MLS since Geodis Park opened midway through the season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that beautiful new stadium and home crowd is definitely helping him, uh, you know, in get into that MVP race more and more um, every passing week, right? Absolutely. And then we know that Upper 90, we like to cover two leagues, the MLS and the Premier League, Garrett. And I know you want to talk about this one. I mean, me... It's, it's bittersweet, right? right? Manchester United beating Liverpool 2-1. But as a City fan, you know, I can't root for United, but I want Liverpool to lose. They keep, uh, you know, having poor starts to the season. They're winless in three now. Uh, ridiculous start. But what do you have to say about this one? Yeah, I mean, I, this was not what I was expecting. Um, I think you were a bit more of having the idea that, okay, this might actually be a, a close game. I thought Liverpool were going to blow them out. Yeah. And the exact opposite happened. Well, I mean, not that United... Blew Liverpool out. Obviously, ended two one. But United by far deserved to win this game, especially that first half. They, they was, were by far yeah. the better team. Yeah, the first half they were just playing some lovely football. I mean, that goal from Jaden Sancho, man. <sighs> the the combination down the left with Malasia and Eriksson and Bruno comes to Sancho, sits down Joe Gomez. Van Dyke's just standing in no man's land, and and then he just strokes it into the bottom left corner. Gorgeous goal. I thought United were playing some of the best football I've seen from them in a very, very long time. And it's crazy how much of a swing this was from getting battered at Brentford last week against, you know, a team who a lot of people have picked for relegation, myself included, although obviously that prediction's not looking amazing right now. But then they go up against Liverpool, who had, mm-hmm. what, 93 points last year? And they and they put out this kind of performance? You know, obviously Liverpool were missing some key players. Um, I, I think... Fabinho was a huge miss in this game, the mm. biggest for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I thought United really were able to stamp their style or what Ten Hag wants them to do on this game. Their pressing was great. And there's two players they didn't have in their lineup, right. Justin, which there really contributed is. to that. And, and I know you. we've been talking about this on the train today while traveling up here. Tell me about it. Yeah, man. Maguire and Ronaldo, right? They, they don't fit the system at all. 
Um, McGuire is not a ball-playing center back. We know he struggles uh, just as a player in yeah, himself, in right? In general. but Just spe- defending. <laughs> yeah, but specifically, playing out of the back, right? That is something we know that you need to do uh, when you're in a 10-hog team. That's that's how he plays. And so Lissandra Martinez is very good at it. It's not that Varane is really great at it either, but he had such a fantastic game defensively that it worked out very, very well. As right. far as Ronaldo, uh, we know he's a fantastic player, right? One of the greatest players to ever grace this game, but... He doesn't press. That's not what he does. He is a cherry picker. He likes to sit up top and sit on that last man. Um, but with Rashford up top, obviously, Alanga started on that left wing. Rashford leading the press at that number nine worked very, very well for Manchester United, in my opinion. And then even in the second half, Martial comes on uh, for, for Alanga. Rashford goes left. Still, the press is on. Um, but you mentioned it's not a super high press, right? No. It's, it's a midfield, mid-block uh, maybe a slightly higher press, and it worked out very well because Liverpool just couldn't get in behind. Uh, eventually, they did get that goal from Mo Salah, who now, ha- by the way, has the most goals against Manchester United uh, of any Liverpool player ever with 10. Wow. Yeah, Steven Gerrard second on It's nine. not really surprising, though, is it? He always scores against them. And, and it looked like he might not have, but you know, it, it was a really interesting way, a little rebound header but you know we didn't see him getting much joy down that right side. Although Malasia was uh, was you know very wary and yeah, he, we looked like, he, he looked frightened. He looks frightened. But but did Salah ever really get behind him? No. No. And and that is you know the defensive organization how compact they were and that mid block because you know if you're high pressing that means you're leaving space either in between the lines or behind your back line mm-hmm. right. But the way that they were doing this press in midfield meant that they still stayed very compact and although they allowed Van Dyke and Gomez and Trent and Robertson to have the ball in the back line they were not able to get over the top and that's when Liverpool are most dangerous right with Trent or Robertson playing those long diagonals Sala or Luis Diaz running in behind but United kept everything in front of them and that was a huge part of why they won this game yeah absolutely it could have been worse Allison I, th- I think played pretty well but yeah uh, speaking of Ten Hag he became the very first Manchester United managers just secure his first win against Liverpool so against your biggest rivals getting that first win maybe he should have found it earlier but I mean it's gonna do a world of good for his standing in the club and, and just how United fans feel right now because you know it was panic stations after last is week. it panic stations for Liverpool now Ooh, that's a really good question and honestly I think it might be the injuries do not help mm-hmm. um, but the fact of the matter is that this league is very very competitive and there just is no margin for error no matter how good you are or how good you might have been last year it almost kind of makes me think of Chelsea in mm. like 2015-16 I believe when they went from winning the title to finishing ninth Ooh. so I don't think Liverpool will drop that low yeah. obviously yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. the same kind of problems that they're having um, I think they will turn it around they'll get top four for sure but the title race could be slipping away from them if, if they keep putting out not even just these kind of results, but th- these kind of performances. Because this was just straight up not good enough if you're Jurgen Klopp, if you're any of those Liverpool players. And I'm sure they heard it from the big German after the match. Yeah, I'm sure after he gave all his excuses as usual. Right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, if we would have seen you know, Liverpool go winless... Uh, for three games in the middle or the end of the season, there would be complete panic. Yeah. Oh, uh, especially if, if they were neck and neck with City. Right, like, exactly. Yeah. We don't know how it's going to play out. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Another massive win, though, Garrett, for a new manager. 
Jesse Marsh and Leeds United battering Chelsea at home 3-0. And it was Brendan Aronson uh, getting a goal. We love that, our American. Uh, the first American to score against Chelsea in the Premier League since Josie Altidore for Sunderland, December 2013. And also the first American to score under an American manager. Fantastic. And, and just the way that the goal came about, too, is just so funny because it was just... I, it almost reminded me of Richarlison's goal against Chelsea last year. This is mm. something Chelsea, we know that they do. They get caught on the ball in their own box, their own six-yard box, essentially, in this case. Aronson closes down Mendy, who takes too long. You know, Aronson taps it in. That's crazy. I'm looking at FUP mob rating. Mendy with a 4.0. That sounds about right, to be honest. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, Leeds just were so opportunistic in this game. Chelsea had opportunities. Sterling could have scored a couple times. He had a couple times where he cut inside. They were able to play through the lines relatively well. Um, you know, Connor Gallagher got a start for the first time in a mm -hmm. Chelsea shirt. Um, but, you know, Leeds were just too much to handle. Just their ruthlessness on the break. Jack Harrison was brilliant. Rodrigo, uh, with a goal and an assist, brought him into my FPL team. Let's go. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was, that was a good worked one. out well for me. But yeah, I mean, Leeds looking really good, man. Seven points in three games. We both had them, you know, right in that relegation conversation. You even more than me, right? You put them 17th in your predictions. Right now, they're blowing that out of the water. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. Um, but for me, it was about the midfield in this game. Like, uh, Gallagher, you mentioned, got his first start. I didn't think he was fantastic. Mm. I thought he was, you know, all right. But I, I, there were moments where he didn't fit in. Um, one moment where Aronson sat him on his butt, I think. Um, <laughs> Jorginho as well, I thought, was very poor. You can't play those two together. in a, it, Yeah, like with a Mount above them, it's just like... No, it's... it's it's too attacking, really. Mm. Like you, you need at least a, a, a an actual box of box, like like a Kovacic, mm -hmm. right? And Loftus Cheek isn't a isn't a fullback, right? No, I mean, he's not no, a wing but, back. no. But it was basically he's not a wing that, back. that was that was Tuchel made a really smart tackle decision using Loftus Cheek as a wing back against Spurs, but then he decided to do it again, it's, and even it didn't though work. It, it did not fit this game. <laughs> exactly, it doesn't make like like yes, it makes sense to do it against Spurs, yeah. but just because it worked against Spurs doesn't mean it's going to work against a, a team in Leeds who literally have a just opposite end of the spectrum tactical approach to Conte's Tottenham. So it, it doesn't make sense that he did that again and they got exposed because of it. Yeah, no, I'm you're, you're spot on there. Um, I think so. And Rodrigo back to your congratulations on those FPL thanks, points, thanks. by the way. <laughs> um, but he was only the fourth ever Leeds player to score in each of the club's first three league games on top flight season. So off to an incredible start. Golden boot leader right now. And most FPL points. And most FPL points. Yeah. Everything's going right for Leeds and Rodrigo. Leeds are third place. They're in a Champions League spot. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And then obviously one thing that contributed to you know Leeds winning this was Koulibaly getting his first red card in the Premier League. Obviously went from a very... Very high to very low last yeah, week with that, that incredible volley. Yeah. And now he gets sent off in, in a battering at Ellen Road. But with that red card, Justin, Koulibaly has now been sent off six times since the start of 2017-18. So that's Yeesh. across, of course, Serie A and now the Premier League. That is the most of any player in the top five European leagues. Believe it or not, Granit Xhaka, I think you've been surpassed. <laughs> so, yeah, Koulibaly, man, you got to get your got to get your discipline in check, huh? I think Jacques are just so dumb that everybody remembers <laughs> them. But the yeah. mo when you think Premier League red card in the last like five to seven years, Jaka. you think Jaka. Yeah, you absolutely do. Um, but when you think goal scoring in over the last you know 
decade in the Premier League. You think of one guy. Well, two guys, but one guy that's still, you know, there, Harry Kane. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. He set the single-team goal-scoring record with 185 goals for Spurs. That other guy that I mentioned you would think of, Sergio Aguero, 184 for Manchester City. Um, so a big, you know, leap for Kane. He's chasing that Alan Shearer record, of course. You think he's going to get there? or? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. I, I just don't see him leaving at this point, especially with what Spurs are building. It wasn't a great performance for them against Wolves. Obviously, they found a way to win. That's what good teams do. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's just going to keep banging them in. I don't see why he wouldn't. Um, just an incredible player. In my opinion, the greatest player to ever put on the Tottenham Hotspur Ooh. kit. That's my opinion. Um, I was having a debate with my friend about this. Absolute club legend. And, and yeah. this, is, this is a guy out of the academy as well. So not only has he done all this for Spurs, playing for one team, loans aside for his entire career, you know he he is Tottenham born and bred, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a, an incredible achievement for him to be able to say, "I've scored more goals for my boyhood club than anyone scored for any club in Premier League history." Absolutely. That's incredible, absolutely. And to stay loyal when he's not winning any trophies, I mean, this <laughs> had to get get the little dig in there, the the empty trophy cabinet. <laughs> I mean, I was generous. I'm calling him loyal when he wanted no, to leave last season. No, you're not wrong. That's true. That's but, true. But from a team who's or players scoring a bunch to a team who just can't score. West Ham. Yeah. I mean, they had one disallowed against Forrest last week, right? Mm -hmm. For Antonio uh, rugby tackling a player <laughs> mid-Ben Rama strike. So uh, poor Ben Rama. His goal didn't count because Antonio just decided to just run someone over like it was American football. Yeah. Um, and then this week, a really another troubling performance for West Ham. Um, Brighton at home, it was really an opportunity, although Brighton are a good team, obviously. It was, a, it was an opportunity for West Ham to get their season underway, and they just sputtered, and Brighton played some beautiful football. Um, obviously, the first goal w w was a penalty given away by West Ham's new signing, Tilo Kerr, but that second goal with Pascal Gross, who's been fantastic recently, by the way, flicking it around the corner, Trossard on his bike, slots at home. I mean, Graham Potter, man, big clubs need to be looking at this guy. If, if someone at a big club gets sacked this season, I don't know, who that would be, maybe Tuchel. Mm. I think Chelsea should be looking at Graham Potter as a replacement if they decide to get rid of Tuchel. I love that you know, shout. If, 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 they're new, if, they're, if this form continues, right, they, they might have to do that. And I think the best manager by far that they could go out and get is Graham Potter. Yeah, I, I love that shout. Because, I mean, we thought Brighton would drop off heavily. They lost their two best players from last season. And they're performing just as well, if not better. Yeah. I mean, this is Graham Potter, masterclass. He, you know, the first game of the season against uh, Manchester United was a, a tactical masterclass from yeah. him as well. So it, uh, you, it doesn't matter what players he has. No, it, it, <laughs> it really, really doesn't. doesn't. It really doesn't. It's crazy. It, it, you know, obviously their one problem has been that they can't convert enough chances, but so many of those chances just come from the way that he's drilled this team. And it's like, right. No, I, and, and they always make shrewd acquisitions, and we'll talk about one of those a little mm. bit later, mm. Justin. But before we can get in, before we get into that, we have to look at the team at the top of the table, right? Arsenal, three wins in three games. Um, they've been sensational. Odegaard was utterly fantastic this week at the Vitality Stadium, scoring two goals for the first time since I think it was like 2016. That was the last time he did. He had a brace in the Norwegian league, so he's really announcing himself on the big stage once and for all fantastic player arsenal man where how how do you think they could go oh man they're balling i you know i back arteta right yeah so 
I don't put a ceiling on this team. I mean, they could compete for the title. They could be in a title I race. I don't see why not. They could be in a title race. Not. I mean, with, with the way that Liverpool are pre- performing and the way that Arsenal are performing, I mean, only one of those looks like a title-challenging team right now. 100%. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been you know the most difficult fixtures necessarily for Arsenal, but they're going to keep winning. And I think that you know their fixtures coming up are not too difficult. I think that they could be uh, top of the league for a good while uh, and one that people are going to be chasing. Uh, and also, to me, we mentioned about MLS having so much parity. They're the only team unbeaten, or sorry, not unbeaten, but with three wins through three games. Right. Does that mean we're seeing more parity? I mean, you wouldn't think that City, Tottenham, Liverpool, et cetera, would have even you know drawn much less lost games. Yeah, I mean, obviously the fixtures plays a part of it, but you know it's a really open league. I I do feel like anyone can beat anyone on any mm-hmm. given day, and we we've seen that, and it almost happened to City right at Newcastle, right, right. which we can talk about now because what a game that was! Wow, end to end. Um, just incredible game. So much fun to watch. Maybe less so for you because you were stressing out. But from a neutral perspective, this was a sensational game yeah. of football at St. Yeah. James's Park. Yeah, it's one of those um, where St. James's Park is one of the hardest places to go in the Premier League. Yeah. We know that uh, early on in the season against the reigning champions, they were bumping. right, And so that is going to uh, change the aspect of the game. And, and it did. But it was Alan St. Maximin for me, that was just so incredible uh, in this match. Uh, and I think that uh, draw was a fair result because Newcastle were definitely the better side until City, you know, ramped, until they went up 3-1 and then City, right. you know, turned things around. Um, but it made City just the fourth side ever to avoid defeat in three straight Premier League matches when falling two-plus goals behind. Uh, so impressive that you know that's that's the championship mentality right even if you're down by two plus goals you don't give up no matter how much time no matter what you keep pushing and city had time for a winner in this match yeah um it didn't find it but yeah it, it could have been yeah and you say championship mentality and that's literally how they won a championship last right. year was being down exactly. two goals and needing three to win the title and they did it thank you gundo thank you <laughs> Yeah, and he op- he opened the scoring in this game, right, in the fifth minute. Right. But the goal that really stuck out to me was that Kieran Trippier free kick. Absolute class. Top bins. I know you said Ederson's positioning was sketchy, but that's so that's where only the spiders live, Justin. I, know, I don't know if anyone's getting there. No, I, I agree. It's I, I don't mean to take away at all from the free kick. It's absolute top bins. Absolute upper 90. <laughs> but... but Ederson can't be beating on the post he's meant to cover, in my opinion. That like that's what the wall is there for. Yeah, but but Trippier has been known to go to that side. He did it against yeah, Everton yeah, last year. Yeah. He did it in the Euro. Like he he's notorious for whip, getting that whip and dip over the the near the wall at the near post mm-hmm. and getting it in. And so Ederson was anticipating that. Obviously, he shouldn't have. Trippier took him by surprise, and and the strike was literal perfection. Um, I I really don't think you could hit one much better than that, but. He has, you know, been a fantastic signing for Newcastle thus far. Obviously, it was a lot of money for someone who they signed age 31, I believe. Uh, and, uh, you know, thus far, it, it's looking like it's probably worth it because Newcastle, you know, they look really good. And Trippier is one of their best players. And that quality, you know, he, he can just come up with a moment of magic whenever they need him to. Yeah, I think he has five Premier League goals. Four of them are free kicks. That's wild. Yeah. That's yeah. wild. Uh, Erling Holland also got a goal. Uh, he's the third player to score in each of his first two Premier League games away. 
after Emmanuel Adebayor and Emil Impenza. But he could have had more too. He he could have had a couple. He could have if Phil Foden, who by the way, oh my, yeah, he, made his. He did it again. He did it again for the second straight game. By the way, it was his hundredth uh, Premier League appearance uh, at 22 years old. He is the youngest player to reach that mark in a top flight uh, league under Pep. So wow. very, very impressive, right? Uh, you, you think of you know Messi at a young age. Right? Right. He didn't even reach that um, so quickly. But Phil Foden should have two assists in the past two games to Holland, but he just decides not to pass it and cross it to him. Yeah, l- literal tap-in. Just, no, let me just shoot right at the keeper. Or I think this time he put it, was it like the outside netting? I don't think, he, yeah, he didn't even put it on target. It's a, it's a joke. But pe- if I'm Pep, I need to sit him down and say, hey, man, like, get your ego in check. You, This is a team sport, and you are I don't think it's ego. Team. I don't think it's ego. I think he literally just isn't seeing the pass, which to me is How? even more worrying. How? I know. Well, How? that's the thing, because Pep's, Pep mentioned it if after. If he passes the- that ball, City win the game. Yeah, it's a it, like that. Think about it that way. It's literally this game three three. That is a tap in. Holland, you could blindfold Holland and spin him ten times, get him dizzy, and he's not missing that. Yeah, no, I mean against Bournemouth after the game, Pep talked about it. He said like Foden has to pass there. He can't be missing yeah. these passes, and then he does it once again. I mean, how do you get publicly criticized by your manager and then do the exact same thing the next game? Uh, like, actually, like yeah. I would think that he would maybe pass it when he shouldn't in the next game, not make the exact same mistake, but this time costing your team points. I think Pep probably makes him start the friendly against Barcelona and then doesn't play him <laughs> in the in the Premier League next week That's against possible. Palace. That's possible. Um, not that it, there should be friendlies in the middle of the season. This is ridiculous, right, but I, that's a whole other topic. Do you want to hear about something ridiculous, Justin? Yeah, I do. Casemiro to Manchester United. What? Yeah. <laughs> For how much money? 60 million euros and 10 million in add-ons. Woo! Yeah, but... My personal opinion is that this is a great signing. It's a lot of money. I understand okay. that for a player who is, you know, past the age of 30. Yep. But we've been talking for years at this point about United need a six. Mm-hmm. United need a six. So what did they do? They went out and got like a top three six in the world, mm. right? This is a guy who's won five Champions Leagues with Real Madrid, was one third of one of the greatest midfield threes of all time. It Like in my mind, like, Top one or two, right? Yeah, it's them in the bars. Yeah. Them and Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, right, right? Exactly. And then he won three La Ligas. Obviously, not as many as it could be, but he was outstanding last season, both in La Liga and in the Champions League. Huge part of why they were able to shut down Liverpool. Right? Thought he was sensational in the Champions League final, mm-hmm. and he's always showed up in big games in those finals that they've you know, never lost. By the way, when when he's played, he, they played five one five, and he's shown up in every single one of them. And if United need a, a guy to show up, I mean, you look at the way that they played against Liverpool, you slot a world-class DM into that, I mean, United might be able to turn this around, which is not something I thought I would be saying a week ago, but with a huge win and then a huge transfer, who knows? Yeah, I will say he shouldn't have even been playing in that Champions League final because he should have been sent off against Man City. You're got, not wrong. <laughs> at least at least three yellow cards in that game. But anyway, um, yeah, I actually agree with you. I think it's a very good signing for Manchester United. The price is slightly high, but... It makes sense, though. Like, why would Madrid let him go otherwise? Right. Well, too many, right? Yeah, true. So but too, just signed him. Right. The, the, the replacement is ready-made, already there. They paid over what Casemiro, you know, for, for too many, obviously much, much younger. But I just think it's exactly what United need, as you said. Um, my, ish, my only question mark is, can he, you know, press as a six and 
that's my only question because we don't see the pressures from him at Real Madrid, but that's just because they don't press. Yeah. And that's what I s- think is, you know, he, as you mentioned, he is a world-class number six. He is one of the best number six we've seen of his generation. So I'm sure he has the tactical ability to adjust. His yeah. defensive actions are top-notch. Um, when you think of, you know, top defensive midfielders right now, in my opinion, if you're going for somebody younger, you're thinking of Chuameni near a hundred million. You're thinking of Declan Rice, who's well over a hundred million. Yeah. Uh, you know, that is the level that Casemiro is. And so to bring him in, yes, it's a lot of money and he's a little bit older, but it's exactly what United need. And at a level that is really hard to find. Yeah. I, I think his legs might be a bit of a thing because he's never really been asked to mm. press and cover the ground that he will. And McTominay like was all over the place in that last game. He was mm. everywhere. So I agree. I think Casemiro will definitely have the tactical ability to do that. I think maybe he might not play every single game just because of his age and the recovery that will be needed to do what Ten Hag wants of him. But when he does play, he will be fantastic. I have no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, and I think... It's what I've seen from Manchester United this season and what they really need out of the six is to play out of the back, right? That is what uh, has been struggled for Ten Hag's system uh, is when, you know, De Gea plays a ball in or one of the center backs plays a ball into the six and they try and play it out to a wing back uh, and it gets picked off. Or, or, right. or, or, you know, we saw Brentford literally Erickson. Like two goals. Well, we saw Erickson drop deep. Who's, he's not playing a six, right? But he's right. still dropping all the way deep. De Gea shouldn't have passed him the ball. There were two wide open fullbacks yeah. in there, and he should have played him the ball. But Casemiro will not turn the ball over like McTominay and Fred do in that position. Right, totally agree. He knows how to you know take care of the ball. Um, and then another big midfield signing, Justin, this week: Morgan Gibbs White from Wolves to Forest. They are splashing the cash, and there was rumors about um, Everton actually being interested in him earlier in the window, and the price tag seemed high to me, but. With add-ons, Justin, this deal goes up to 42 and a half million pounds. Yeah, I think a lot of those are very difficult. Um, I think, you know, the 7 to 10 million add-ons, it'll get up to probably, you know, 32 to 35. Still still a lot. It's still a still lot. A lot. I, I, yeah, those those extra 7.5 or something I think are, are some ridiculous add-ons. I can't exactly remember, but ridiculous numbers that he's not going to hit. Um, but a 22-year-old England Youth International... Uh, you know, the only question I have is where does he play? Because he's he's a 10, right? Lingard's the 10. Do you play two 10s? Seems dangerous. How do you fit them in? Is it just so that you have the competition, which obviously is great at your number 10 position? Whoever's not creating, they get benched. Whoever's in form, they're playing. Um, that could work out really, really well for Nottingham Forest. Um, I, I think he's a very talented player. They're spending a lot, and I, I love Nottingham Forest for that because I want them to stay up. Will it fit? Will he be starting over Lingard? Probably not. Well, he came off the bench for Lingard at Goodison Park this weekend. Mm-hmm. I thought he was way better than Lingard was. Wow. Okay. Immediately, yeah, he, he almost created a winning goal for Forrest, dancing past two defenders, some really sweet footwork. Um, Lingard was next to anonymous in this game. Morgan Gibbs-White came off the bench, obviously running at tired legs, but he looked really dynamic. I was a bit worried for sure. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up going. Could he end up, you know, slotting in for O'Brien and playing more as an eight? I, I'm mm. not sure. It, it's it's kind of interesting that they've decided to splash so much money on a position that they already are paying a guy 200k a week exactly. to fill. Exactly. Right. So 
you know, I think it's one good. you pay the transfer yeah. fee, one you pay the wages. Like <laughs> seriously, and together it's a world class yeah. player. <laughs> Is that how it works? But I mean, yeah, I, we'll see. It it's a good signing on paper, just in terms of the player mm-hmm. and, and the potential. But how it fits into what Forrest are trying to do this season, I'm with you. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, another signing, which just kind of came out of left field for me, Emerson Palmetti uh, from West Ham, or sorry, from Chelsea to West Ham, uh, the left wing back, I think. Right. I'm sure he can play left back as well. Um, but 13 million pounds plus a 2 million in add-ons, uh, contract until 2027. Good signing for West Ham? I mean, I guess they, on the left they have Masuaku, who's been kind of mm-hmm. hit or miss. But, I mean, Palmieri hasn't played Premier League first-team football in years. He's, right. He was Chelsea's third string, got loaned out, right? He's been sitting behind Marcos Alonso for as long as I can remember. So, you know, West Ham are struggling. Is this the signing that's going to change things? No. It's just depth, maybe in preparation for their European campaign coming up, right? Um they, they start the Conference League in just a couple weeks. Uh, so definitely good to have a deputy left back. If, if they didn't already, I'm not sure who their backup was. Maybe like Ben Johnson, but I think he's a right back naturally. Um, oh, obviously they have Cresswell as well. Um, so I, I don't know, like a, thir- like a third string left back, second string left back. Is that really what they need right now? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, and I think of him as a, as a, a wing back as well in a and five. They play, and they play a four. They play a four, right? right? So, I mean, I'm choosing Cresswell over him for sure. Oh, easy. And then, well, Cresswell's the starter. Right, and then I don't even know if he's a second string, as you're saying. So... I don't know what really West Ham. I think that they need to obviously just find where the goals are coming from. Cause you're spending a, a bucket load of money on a striker. Yeah, and, and still Antonio's done nothing. I honestly think it's time for Skamaka to, to get a start and see if he can do something. Cause I think a lot far, of the West Ham fans are. Yeah. Antonio well. just has not offered. The only thing he's offered is that rugby tackle, which ruled out Ben <laughs> Ramos. Too. That's all he's done. That's all he's done this year thus far. You know, it's just a fact. What about a guy that your club was interested in? Or apparently still are, but. If you say so, Joe. Con- conflicting reports. Conflicting reports. Fabrizio Romano, here we go this one. So I'll say it's it's done and dusted, but Everton fans might disagree. Joe Pedro, the striker, he can also play left wing, from Newcastle, uh, from Watford to Newcastle, uh, 25 million pounds plus 5 million in add-ons. There's a 10% sell-on contract all the way until 2028. Whew. Yeah, long contract, that one. Uh, assuming it's all re- done and dusted, of, of course, but... As, uh, you mean Everton wanted this guy. He was sought after. Watford, we know, are just getting all their players taken, right? They're getting yeah. raided, uh, as often happens. Um, but is this what Newcastle need? I think this is definitely a signing for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, João Pedro is a very talented player. He's still very young and has struggled to show any consistency in the Premier League. But, you know, Callum Wilson is not going to be their striker forever. Ja Pedro has a ton of potential. Contract until 2020, as you say, six years tied down at the club. Um, I think that he could really develop into a really quality player. And, you know, when you're, when you're making a project, you're running a project like Newcastle are, you need to bring in some of these really high-talented players and try to develop them with a fantastic manager like Eddie Howe. And, and then, you know, maybe Ja Pedro turns into a, a 10 or a 9 or whatever they need him to play mm-hmm. and is a really quality player for their, you know, top four charges in the future. So do I think it will significantly improve their team right now, which is looking pretty good as it is? No, not really. But in the future, this could end up being a, a stroke of genius. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. It's interesting to me because there's there are a ton of these Watford attackers are really good in my opinion. Pedro, Dennis, Sar, Cucho, 
all of these guys, and they were all on the same team. And they're all gone. And they're all gone, but... I mean, what were Watford doing? They had all these guys in one team, couldn't do anything. They were horrific. They were so bad. <laughs> but I actually rate all four of those players. Yeah, me too. Right, so... I mean, it's almost like sacking a manager every three weeks isn't a good idea if you're trying to, you know, turn quality oh, really? players into a quality system. Yeah, I don't know if you... If oh, so you you're saying, that. like, put faith in somebody maybe like Arsenal did? Ooh, ooh, I like that connection. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, don't be calling in Roy Hodgson to then go do a, a lap of honor around Selhurst Park after losing... <laughs> Like, dude, come on. He didn't even go clap the Watford fans. You remember this? Yeah. He didn't even clap the Watford fans. Just clap it. I don't know. That club's a mess. But I'm glad that these quality players got out of there and into pastures new. And I'm excited to see um, a, a few of them back in the Premier League. So Absolutely right. And then uh, the last transfer for today that you alluded to a little bit right. earlier, uh, Pervis Estupinian, the left back to Brighton from Villarreal, 24-year-old Ecuadorian. Uh, just under 18 million euros, uh, which is a good price, right? Yeah, it's well. The the thing about it, Justin, is that it's basically what they paid for Cucurella when they signed him last oh, summer. That's what you had down there. I was like, yeah. how does this relate to Cucurella? No, because, was, because because this is a direct. They, thought, so they paid. I was like, they sold him for 60. What are we? Doing? This is this is why Brighton are doing what they're doing. Extremely well run club. They buy Cucurella for 18 million euros last summer. He plays one season, has one goal, one assist. They sell him to Chelsea for 62 and a half, mm. right? Then they go to Villarreal, who have been fantastic recently, obviously under Unai Emery yeah. uh, in Europe and, you know, almost got to the Champions League final, right? Mm -hmm. And they go and get their left back, Purvis Estupignon, for the same price at 18 million. So they basically have just... Essentially, I think Cucurella and Estupignan are at a very similar level, to be Ooh. honest. Estupignan is very, That's very good. That's a really high endorsement he's for Estupignan. He's very good. And the thing is that they basically have just gone from Cucurella to Estupignan, but have added $62.5 to their pockets, which they can go spend on other areas of the squad that they need to strengthen. So this is genius business from Brighton. This is exactly why they are, where they are, why they are where they are, rather. Um, and, and, you know, stuff like this, man, I wish like Everton could do things like this because it, it's just so, so smart. And they've been getting so many plaudits in the media and rightly so. He played against West Ham, looked very lively as well. So, yeah, this is a, this is a fantastic signing. Um, and speaking of Watford, Justin, he actually was on their books for four years from 2016 mm. to 2020 before they sold him to Villarreal and Watford have a sell on. So they will receive one million pounds. Uh, as, as a result of this deal. But I think Brighton are, are clearly the beneficiaries. Yeah, absolutely. Watford just raking in the cash. Then, yeah, I, they, I mean, yeah. Not that a million is a lot, but it's just... No, but with all the other sales right, going right, on, right? right? I mean, it, it, I wonder if they're going to spend it, you know, try to get up, back up this year, do another yo-yo, or if they're going to, you know, try to be a bit more patient and yeah. play it out. But with that, Justin, we can move into, of course our moment of the week. And I can start, Justin, because this was just an insane occurrence in Germany. In the Bundesliga, Borussia Dortmund, right? Comfortable 2-0 lead against Werder Bremen uh, at the Westfalenstadion. So, you know, at home, right? Mm -hmm. um, signal of Duna Park, otherwise known, right? Yeah. And they're 2-0 up in the 89th minute. Okay. They lost the game, Justin. They, they lost the game 3-2. I mean, this reminds me of what Everton did against Newcastle a couple years ago, except that we, we were up 2-0 in the 92nd minute, and we drew. Okay. This is even worse. They conceded in, get this, the 89th minute, Leo Buchanan, the 93rd minute, Nicholas Schmidt, and the 95th minute, 
Ollie Burke, <laughs> former Sheffield United bagsman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ollie Burke scores the winner. I texted my friend who is a big Dortmund supporter, and I said, dude, what, what just happened at Signal Iduna? And he said, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> man, Dortmund, this is why. Shambles. It's, it's ridiculous, man. Like, Bundesliga ain't even a real league anymore. Like, it's... It, it's not even fair. Like I saw, I saw a post that said like, give Bayern, uh, you know, put them down one nil in every game that they play. <laughs> that just still probably just, wouldn't be fair. To they, be they'd, they'd still make win. it two. Make it two. Make it two. They'd still win the. Yeah, Bundesliga. they won seven nil this weekend, by the way, still, against Bochum. Yeah, you could put them down one nil, two nil. They're still winning the yeah. Bundesliga. That's how. Take, take out Lewandowski. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. What was your moment of the week, Justin? My moment of the week had to be Jordan P. Falk. Mm. Otherwise known as Jordan Siebachu. Uh, he had, you know, obviously the big move to the Bundesliga, and he has hit the ground running. He now has, uh, in his first three games, he has three goal contributions, two goals. He also got a goal in the cup, um, but he led his team to a 2-1 win against Leipzig, with his goal and assists, uh, with the U.S. men's national team looking for a number nine and you know being craving somebody who can continually produce, I think this guy just has to be going to, to going to Qatar and having him perform this way in a top five league. Uh, when you know he came from young boys and we thought you know he was good, but is he really good enough to do it in a real league? And he's showing that right now. Justin, I propose that if. Pfock is not on the plane to Qatar, and Jordan Morris is. We stage a riot, picking the wrong Jordan for sure. <laughs> and Justin, before we end off this episode, our game of the week next week, we have to put it out there. We will be analyzing it, of course, but it is an extremely, extremely special one. Your first game at the Etihad Stadium. Been waiting so long for this. City against Palace, who have been very good as very well. Good. Like, should be a very interesting game. Very especially good. we saw what they did at Anfield the other day. Um, it's going to be fantastic to watch, and I'm sure you are just buzzing over the moon for this. I can't wait. I mean, I've been thinking about this for months and months since we planned our trip here. Yeah, yeah. It's all I could think about. My first game at the Etihad. Um, I just absolutely cannot wait. If you were going to be at the Etihad or anything, hit me in the DMs. We can meet up. Uh, I... <laughs> Just can't wait to be there with all the Mancunians and all the citizens and just have the time of my life. Yeah, yeah. and we get to watch some decent footballers play as Oh, well, decent. Know. Just, just yeah, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, just eh, the, Erling Holland, eh, they're all right. Uh, you know, <laughs> just brushing over Bernardo Silva. Oh, yeah. Well, okay, well, I could go on for a while. If, you, if, you, if we're going to say, oh, we got to give every Should we just name credit, the whole we'll city good, roster? No, I think we're good. I think we're good. But we'll probably name them all for their... Fantastic performances next week, at least hopefully for you, right? But uh, with that, guys, no thank you so much for watching or listening Ooh. to this episode, right? Um, we'll be doing the rest of our episodes in England on video, and then when we go back home, we'll be you know, finding out a new way to do it over video as well. Mm -hmm. I'm not in person with this beautiful setting like this, but, but we'll, we'll make be here it for a while. We'll yeah, yeah. For a while. We're, we're here for quite a while, and we'll make it worth your while when, when you get back as well. But we have match vlogs coming up, Justin. Mm. We're going to our first game in England tomorrow Leeds versus Barnsley at Ellen Road. So Ooh, we get to Yorkshire Derby. Yeah, and we get to see our Americans in action. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's you're right. Well, we'll see Jesse Marsh in action because For sure. you know even if they're if they're winning five 0 against Barnsley, his celebration that will celebration be as was incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
uh, stay tuned for that. Be sure to follow us on all our socials. That link is in our description. And we will be back with the FPL show on Thursday. Uh, be ready for that. Um, you know, another great game week. There's a lot of really good fixtures for our big hitters, right? So looking forward to some great football that we're at and a great FPL score. Thanks for watching.